you would take your Bibles with me and turn to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. We'll be continuing on in this uh, short two-part sermon series through the closing verses of Isaiah 40 this morning. But we're going to begin reading in verse 18. Again, Isaiah 40, verse 18. The prophet Isaiah writes, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a a skilled craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they planted, scarcely have they sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them and they wither. And the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me, that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number and calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Amen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that this is your world that we live in. That you have put it together and it all displays your handiwork. Everything that has been made has been made by you and speaks to your character and your attributes as if it's a living testimony to your power and your greatness. You who lead the stars forth, who sends the sun in its orbit around, sends the planets rather in the, their orbit around the sun and fixes all of the heavenly bodies in their place, who moves the oceans and the tides, everything according to what you have ordained and what you sovereignly control. And you made it all, and you made it all for yourself. And we who live in this world live amongst and steward the things that you have given us that are not to be used just for ourselves, but are to be used for you. We pray, Father, that you would give us that vision of this world, that we would see that our purpose is summed up in 
using and stewarding what you have given as a means of worshiping you, as a means of serving you, as a means of accomplishing your will and your purpose. Father, we thank you so much that into this world that was sinful and wicked and fallen because of what happened in the Garden of Eden many, many years ago, yet you sent your only begotten Son to live and dwell amongst us as one of us, yet God in the fullness, that you might save to the uttermost those whom you chose to save and those whom you loved and those who have believed and will believe. Father, we thank you for the gospel that reorients our our view of the world and the way that we live. We're no longer living for ourselves, but we live for the one who has saved us, who has reconciled us to himself, that, that has removed from us the weight of our sin and the guilt and the condemnation due us, all by grace, all because of Christ. And that's why we are here this morning, because of Christ and what he has done for us. And we pray, Father, that as we look to your word, that you would again remind us of these truths, of what we once were and how we once lived and whose we are now and how we are to live and how we ought to live. That we would be renewed in our understanding, encouraged and exhorted in our walk with you. We pray that you would richly bless this time as we open your word. Give us ears that are attentive to hear, hearts that are hungry and desire to hear your word. Hearts that are even willing to be convicted and confronted by what your word teaches. We pray that your word would not return to you void this morning, but that it would fully accomplish all that you have ordained for it to do. That the ones who hear and the one who speaks it forth would grab a hold of these truths and be transformed by them, by your spirit, by your grace, for our good and for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Electricity. It's a fascinating phenomenon. Basically, at the fundamental level, it's electrons that move through um, a wire that provide current that power everything around us. The room that we're in, we have electricity that's feeding and causing the lights overhead to to work and to function. And electricity is a wonderful thing in lighting our world and also in keeping it cool in here and during the wintertime making it warm. But our houses, our homes are not independent in and of themselves with access to electrical power without reaching out outside of itself to the power source, right? The power station, the power plant sends the electricity through the wires to our homes. Our homes are dependent upon that supply. If a fuse blows in our circuit box or something goes wrong with a wire cut by a construction worker or the power plant has a failure, we're not going to have power, right? Something's going to have to happen to fix that problem, to restore the current coming to us. Our homes, our businesses are dependent upon things to get the power from where it's originated to our homes to power it in the ways that we need. And in the same way, God has created us as human beings to be dependent upon things outside of ourselves. In the very 
core and fabric of our being, God has made us to be dependent creatures. Not independent, not self-sufficient, but dependent creatures. He has made us for himself to be dependent upon him, not just for some things or many things or most things, but all things. Everything that we have has come forth from him. Every breath that we take is a gift from him. Every beat of our heart that we ourselves can't control is a gift from his hands. Every ounce of strength has come forth from him and not from ourselves. We are utterly, comprehensively dependent upon God. The problem is we don't often always live with that in mind, do we? We live thinking that we can be enough and, and tap into more strength and be self-dependent, self-sufficient. And yet the only self-dependent, self-sufficient being that exists is God himself. Theologians call that the aseity of God. He is self-sufficient, depends on nothing and no one, and, and we are anything but. We depend upon many things, and we must depend upon him. Last time we saw in our text of scripture, beginning in Isaiah 40, verse 28 and verse 29, these important truths about who God is. Not a comprehensive view of who God is, but a highlight of certain divine attributes, certain divine characteristics that distinguish God from us, that distinguish divinity from creatureliness. We saw in our text the following important characteristics of God. He's creator, the one who speaks forth what is out of nothing. He's immutable. He does not change. We sang about that this morning. There's no shifting of shadow or turning or changing. He's a constant, immovable, fixed being. We've already talked about his self-sufficiency. He's independent. He's omniscient, all-knowing. There's not a single thing that he does not know. His knowledge and wisdom is unsearchable, unfathomable. God is in many ways incomprehensible to us because he is not like us. And a word that really gets to the heart of who God is in relation to us is this idea of transcendence. What do you think of when you hear that word transcendence? There are many different ways you could define that word, but it really is getting at something that is beyond or other and really something that's in a completely different category. That's who God is. He's not in the category of creatureliness, of humanity, and we must not view God as being creaturely. Even though in scripture, God condescends and uses language all the time that is creaturely, even though that is not true of who he is. He talks about body parts that he has, the arm of the Lord, the mind of the Lord, the eyes, the voice of the Lord. God doesn't have flesh. He, he doesn't have tangible corporal um, a, a body. God is spirit. He's not creaturely. And yet he has condescended to speak to us in language that we can wrap our minds around. All the while, he is still incomprehensible. 
We can apprehend things of God. We talked about this last time. We, we can understand things about God, but we cannot comprehend them in the sense that we cannot have a full orb knowledge of who God is. We cannot wrap our hands fully around God, but yet God is knowable, and he has revealed himself to us in his word, and we can trust what he has revealed to us, and we know him because he has recorded and has preserved his word that we might read it and come to understand him. He's given us nature to speak to who God is, but most of all, he's given us his son, who is God himself, who lived and walked in this world and is the only one who truly knew God. He revealed him to us. And that revelation is, again, contained in the teachings of Scripture in the New Testament. So we've seen the character of God, the otherness of God. And we have seen alongside that last week how we are, we are not God. We are not like God. We are not a creator like he is. We're not immutable. We change. We're progressing. We're becoming. We're unbecoming. We're not self-sufficient even though we like to think we are and sometimes live that way. We're not independent. We're utterly dependent. We're not omniscient. We don't know everything. Even the smartest person that has a a degree or many degrees and is widely renowned for their knowledge and understanding, their knowledge is very limited and finite, often confined to very narrow sections of what could be known. Man is not unsearchable or incomprehensible. Man is able to be examined. Whether the flesh, it's able to be dissected and understood and, and looked at. The spiritual matters are, are a little bit more mysterious, but yet God has given us enough in his word to help us to understand that, that we are beings that are able to be understood largely and significantly. We are also not all-powerful, omnipotent. We are very weak. The strongest of people can only lift and move a mere hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And yet God is, as it were, holding the world in his hands, which is enormous beyond our ability to understand. So we have God here in this separate category. We have man here in this other category. There is a distinction there. There is a transcendence that's true of God. And really this sermon this morning, finishing the third point, is a then how, how do we live in light of those two important truths that God is who he is and we are not that, we are this. How ought we to live? It, it's getting from the intellectual to the practical. It's important that we have a right view and a right understanding of God. And it's also important that we have a right view of ourselves which comes through a right view of God. But we must get out of the realm of philosophical or theoretical we must get to the point of how should I apply these truths to my life? And that's really where the prophet goes. After displaying the character of God and showing the distinction between creator and creature, he then unfolds how we are to live by providing for us an example of how not to. And we'll look at that in a moment. In verse 29, the prophet speaks of God's relationship to men and begins to unfold how men are to live in relation to God. The prophet writes, speaking of God, he gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might he increases power. 
Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. Again, we see here, men, you and me, we are prone to weakness, frailty. You think of the full spectrum of of humanity. Babies, they're so weak. They're so frail. A newborn can do nothing for themselves. They, They can't take care of themselves. They can't lift anything. They can't really move anything. And you get to the other end of the spectrum, someone who's very old. It's like it comes full circle. They're, they're not as able as they once were. They're more feeble. They're, they're frail. And their, their weakness, their endurance is so small. They lack power. And yet somewhere in between, a child grows and gets stronger and grows into an adult who's strong. And yet at some point it starts going the other way, does it not? Some of us can say, we're not as strong as we once were. Our vitality is, is shifting. Others of us can say that, no, we're getting stronger. We're more able. And, and all of us are somewhere in that spectrum. But yet, what is true nonetheless is that even those who have the greatest strength and power, there comes a point in the exercise of it where it has been exhausted. Some of you may like to go work out in a gym, or maybe you like to work out at home. And those of you who do, you're very aware of the fact that you reach a point where I can't lift this anymore. I can't run anymore. I can't do this exercise, whatever it is anymore, because my muscles are going to give out. They're giving out. I, I can only do a certain number of reps. Now, if you're like me, I, I, I like being able to lift more and do more but my body is my own worst enemy. It's not able to perform as it once was. Pull-ups. I used to be able to do many of them, and now it's, it's a struggle. And for many of you, you would say, well, it's more of a struggle for me than it must be for you because I'm older and, and I haven't done it in a while. And, and that's true. But yet, even in something where we are actively seeking to work out and build our our muscles, our strength, there's a point where that's all we have today. We run out. We are weak. We lack the energy. And we're empty. And we have to go refuel and re-energize, which is what we do every single time we eat food. At the heart of it, the reason why we eat is because we need fuel for the rest of the day. The fact is that we are so dependent upon things that our whole life is is built upon that dependency. We need food to have fuel to go. We need oxygen to breathe or we pass out and die. Our body needs blood flowing through it. We don't have control over that. If the blood stops, we stop. There's so much in our lives that that really together display our frailty, our weakness, our dependency. And we need to be reminded of that. Because so often in the world that we live in that is telling you, you are enough, you are self-sufficient, that really that self-dependency, that self-affirmation mentality is pushing you towards a reality that is contrary to what is really true and accurate. We are not enough. Believe it or not, 
you are not enough. Young people, you're not enough. Even though you are strong and you feel like you, you could grab the world and do whatever you want, you're not enough. God has made you to be not enough. The Puritan Matthew Henry writes here, those who trust in their own sufficiency and are so confident of it that they neither exert themselves to the utmost nor seek unto God for his grace are here in our text the youths and the young men. These are the ones who are strong and yet these are the ones who are apt to think themselves stronger than they are and yet they shall faint. They shall be weary. Yea, they shall utterly fail in their services, in their conflict, and under their burdens, they shall soon be made to see the folly of trusting in themselves. Matthew Henry points out the fact that the prophet here uses as an example the most fit, the most able, the young men and the youths. Even they grow weary and tired. Now, there's a reason why we send young men off to war. We send 20-somethings to war because they are young. They're more able. They're able to endure more hardship on the battlefield physically. They're able to navigate the demanding and the grueling things that will confront them. We don't send old people to war. It's because they're not going to be able to keep up. The youths the young people are the ones who have the most energy, the most capability, the, generally the most, most athleticism. And it's true in the Olympics. How many old people do you see in the Olympic Games? Not very many. You see a lot of young people, so even some people in their teens, 20s, and even 30s. They're the most able. And yet the prophet here highlights that even these ones amongst us who, who we could say in humanity, these are the ones who are the most able amongst us. Even they, even they grow tired and weary and fall. And it's not that the prophet is using them as an example, a segment of our population. No, he's using them in a representative way. These people represent, symbolize those people in this world who live as if they are enough, who see themselves like these youths who think themselves stronger and more able than they are, who are self-sufficient, independent, self-dependent, or at least they think they are and think they can live that way. And there are some here today, this is how you live. In fact, it could be said that all of us find ourselves being tugged into this pathway of self-sufficiency. And yet the warning of the prophet here is you won't be able to bear up under that. You will stumble. You will fall. You will fail. What the prophet is saying here is that we must not live this way. In the midst of normal life or difficulty or trial or suffering, grieving, whatever it may be, wherever you find yourself in your life right now, whatever season you're in, you've not been created to live for yourself and by yourself. You have been created to live for him in dependence upon him.
Do you live that way? Can you say that that is true of you, not in, in a full way because nobody lives that way because we're fallen creatures, but is the pattern of your life, is, is the habit of your life to depend upon the Lord rather than upon yourself? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 wrote, And he had said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Do you see yourself as weak? As lacking? As frail? Do you see yourself so clearly and so realistically that you know that the only source and the only place where the strength that you need to do what you need to do is coming from the Lord and not from yourself? Do you see your weaknesses? Are you mindful of them? Do you live with those before your, your mind and heart? Do those things drive you to the Lord? First, in, in the gospel, I am not enough to be right before God. I am not sufficient in and of myself. Therefore, I need the gospel. I need Christ. A daily reminding ourselves of that and putting it on, which is humbling ourselves, seeing ourselves rightly, and seeing Christ rightly, and seeing once again our great need of him. But also in our, our, our life in, in general, do we live recognizing that we dare not try to do anything without first pleading upon God, at the throne of grace and mercy, that he would give us our daily bread, give us what we need to do what he has put in our hands to do today. Do we live that way? Is that the habit of our lives? I fear that so often we don't live that way. We need to be reminded of the fact that in the words of Paul in his sermon in Athens on Mars Hill when he said, in him we live and move and exist or have our being. Is that how you view the world, your life? Is it, it's not in me that I live and move and exist, but everything is orbiting around God in my life. I live in him. I live by him. I live for him. I live because of him. This is a, a life that is lived with Christ at the center and the human heart humbled and utterly dependent upon the maker of all things. The spirit of this is reflected in the man Martin Luther, who is quoted as saying that he dared not get out of bed in the morning before seeking the face of God, lest he try to do anything of his own strength and fail. But yet there are many in the world, there are many in the church who live in a way that is contrary to what God has made us for, which are found in those youths and young men. Verse 30, though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will be mounted up with Wings like eagles, they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Are you amongst the youths of this text? The young men 
who live as if you're self-sufficient, self-dependent, not dependent upon God? Or are you amongst those here who are said to rather wait on the Lord rather than depending upon one's own might and strength? The word wait carries with it the sense of patience, expectation, trusting. If one truly believes that God is all that the prophet has unfolded in the verses prior, and you recognize who you are in light of that, a right knowledge, a right belief in the truths of those things will lead one to wait upon the Lord. For the Lord is able, and I am not able. The Lord's ways are higher than my ways. The Lord is all wise and all knowing and all knowledgeable, and I'm not. I don't understand this situation, but I know the one who does. The only possible way to live that is consistent with a right knowledge and belief of the character of God is a life that is lived depending upon, resting in, waiting upon the Lord. And we wait upon him in our trusting and in our prayer. Now there's an important balance here because the Christian life is not just about waiting. It's not about passivity. There is a sense of waiting upon the Lord, depending upon him, but there's also the sense in which we are to be active and advancing, putting to death the sin in our lives and taking up what God has given us to do into our hands and discharging it to his glory. But we need to wait upon him in order to have the strength to do those things. And the way that we do that is by prayerfully seeking him to give us what we need. Give us our daily bread. We need the ability to bear up under those divine providences in our lives that are difficult, perhaps a trial, perhaps loss. The only way that you can bear up under that and endure through that is depending upon the Lord. Consider a farmer, one who plants their field and then turns and trusts in the Lord and waits upon him and prays for the rain that will bring up the crops. That is a wise farmer. An unwise farmer is one who waits and doesn't plan at all and expects it to all be done for him. But yet the one who sows in the strength of the Lord will reap if prayerfully one waits upon the Lord. But we still, we still must be active in advancing in the Christian life. Again, Matthew Henry writes, to those who are sensible of their weakness and ready to acknowledge that they, that they have no might, God does in a special manner increase strength. For when we are weak in ourselves, then we are strong in the Lord. What he's meaning there by when we are weak, it's, it's a, a recognition of we are weak. It's a recognition of what's true about yourself constantly. You are weak. You are always weak. If you recognize that and lean into the Lord and seek him and ask for his help, God is pleased to impart to you what you need. God is pleased 
to enable his people to do and to bear up under whatever he providentially brings in their pathway. But the primary way in which we depend upon the Lord is in our prayer life. Prayer is not about us convincing God to act in a way that benefits us. That's a very man-centered way of praying. Prayer is about telling God what he already knows because he's all-knowing. And it's not encouraging or telling God what he needs to do so he changes course and, and does according to what we're asking. God doesn't change. Prayer is primarily for our benefit. Prayer is a means by which we actively exercise our dependence upon him. Prayer is a creaturely thing. Christ in his humanity prayed, teaching us how to do it, and that we as human beings were made to pray. When we pray, we are recognizing who God is, coming before him, and laying before him the needs and requests that we have that he already knows. And he knows even the things that we didn't even utter. The things that we can't even put to words but are just the groanings of our hearts. He knows it all. But why pray if he knows it all? Because it benefits us. It humbles us in the presence of God and is an exercise in dependence. Are you weak in your prayer life? Perhaps it's a symptom of self-dependence and not dependence upon God. Are you one who regularly storms the throne room of grace with your needs and requests all throughout the day, constantly, praying always, without ceasing? Charles Simeon writes, to wait on God in prayer is necessary in order to obtain help from him. Prayer is necessary in order to obtain help from him. In other words, we must not presume upon God and expect him to give what we have not exercised dependence upon him in and asked for. Apostle Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, exhorts his reader to seek God in prayer. He writes, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. We are anxious beings, concerned about many things. That anxiety is a, an evidence of one thing and a symptom of our need to do something else. Anxiety is a symptom of us self-dependent, self-sufficiency. Anxiety in the Greek is literally fear. It's a trusting in ourselves rather than trusting in the Lord. We all do it all the time. When we find ourselves feeling anxious, what are we to do? Go to the Lord. Cast all your anxieties on him because he will hear you. He already knows what your needs are, but you need to exercise that dependence upon God. It's not stop being anxious, but it's a going to God and telling him about that anxiety. 
the things that you're concerned about, the burdens, the pressures, the fears. Look at the Psalms. Over and over, the psalmist is coming. You see the anxieties and the stresses and the burdens that are facing the, the writer. They tell God about it. They're honest with him. And then through that process, they grab a hold of the truths, the promises of God that they need in order to bear up under that situation and find hope, peace, by trusting in God and in his promises and not in themselves. In Isaiah 30, verse 15, we read, For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. Do you desire to be a believer who walks with the Lord and you have strength to face and endure and to walk through whatever you face? Well, strength is found in trusting the one who has all power, all strength. Is God's arm too short? Is he not able? Does he not care about you? Does he not see you? Does he not know exactly where you're at? The struggles, the trials, the difficulties. Surely the one who knows all things knows everything about you. Surely the one who has created and sustains all things and is exercising a unique care and the preservation of all things in knowing you and seeing you and you being worth more than many sparrows, surely does he not care for you? Knowing the character of God and reminding ourselves of who God is should encourage our hearts down the pathway of trusting him. In those times when it's hard to trust God, when our feelings are telling us what is opposite, or our situation is making us feel tempted to believe what is not true about God, to doubt, to be afraid, to fear. If God is unchanging, and God always is who he is, and he is what he has revealed himself to be, and we believe that, not just know it, but believe it, our heart should be guided down the pathway of depending upon the Lord, trusting in him implicitly. For we are no better than poor beggars, are we not? We have needs constantly. And we are, because of Christ, exhorted to go to the the doorway of heaven, the very doorway that opens to the throne of grace. And we are told that we can knock and enter therein with boldness and present before the God of all things, the King of glory, all of our needs, knowing that they will be heard. We will not be kicked out, knowing that all of our needs and cares are already known by God better than we know them ourselves. Heard by the one who knows what he is doing in and through that situation. The eternal perspective. The one who can bring to our hearts truths that we can grab a hold of. Peace, encouragement, hope. How quick are we to go before the Lord in prayer? How quick are we to turn to the Lord and wait and rest in him? There are many who have access to the throne of grace and live as beggars in the squalor that's outside, but will not go in 
but will not go in and receive from the king what they are able to have access to. I fear that so many of us live constantly in that state of squalor and need and do not go before the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who quickly can give to us what we need. So I exhort you, do not be such a one who, having access through the blood of Christ to that throne room, that throne of grace upon which Christ himself sits and is pleased to receive our needs and requests and is pleased also to give unto us according to our need, the one who can supply all because of the riches that are his in Christ. Will you not go? Will you not make use of this? Will you not tap into this never-ending, infinite supply of strength and grace and mercy that can cause you to put to death the sins that remain that you just can't seem to get rid of? That can give you the strength and the courage to do what you don't want to do, but you know you have to. Those days as parents where I just don't have the patience. It's not about tapping in and finding that deeper well of patience in your own heart. You won't find it. The Lord can give what you need. You're going to work and you are tired and you, you don't want to go. Or you're going to have to deal with a very difficult situation there. Turn to the Lord. The Lord is able to give you exactly what you need in order to enable you to do what you need to do. Are you feeling discouraged? Struggling with keeping your mind and heart looking towards things that are filled with hope? Turn to the Lord. Tell the Lord about it. You're not by yourself. All of us have been in a place like that. Go to the Psalms. Read, read the Psalms. Many have been there before. But it is the ones who turn to the Lord, who rest in him and depend upon him, that find, not escape from the situations, but living through them in a way that is unlike any other in this world. Look at what the prophet says. Verse 30, Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. The imagery of the, the eagle there soaring upon those wings, it's a very vivid picture. And in scripture, the, the, the eagle is, is a symbol of strength swiftness. Here are some passages that kind of bring out these ideas. Exodus 19.4 describing how God rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And God speaking to the people. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Deuteronomy 32.11 swiftness, success, and even divine providence at work. Listen to this. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spreads his wings and caught them and carried them on his pinions. Protectiveness of God of his people. Rescue. 2 Samuel 
The swiftness of eagles describing the relationship between David and Jonathan. Listen to this. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and pleasant in their life and in their death, they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. The eagle is representing a way to live in the midst of difficulties. A way to live in the midst of life that the world that we live in knows nothing about. How can one go through a difficult trial and still have hope and still have peace and work through it and endure and bear up under it? Not because of them, but because of the one who is greater than them, who enables them to do it. How can one faithfully live the Christian life in every season? It's not because of you because of me. It's not because you're more able than another. It's not because you're more faithful than another. It's because the God who is at work in you is more faithful than you are. Do you desire to live this life as a means of never being burdened and weighed down and discouraged by what you're facing? We all should desire that. that. That's a kind of an idealistic hope. But there is a way in which we can live that in the moments where we find ourselves feeling discouraged, feeling hopeless, that we can find hope. And that, that is found in the Lord, depending upon him. It is in waiting upon the Lord, resting in him, in all things, in all seasons, in all times, that we can, as it were, mount up with wings like eagles and soar not away from our circumstances, but through them in the strength of the Lord, divinely enabled to persevere, to bear up under, to run and not grow weary, to walk and not faint. Apart from the Lord, we would fall. We would faint. We often do. But those who, in those moments, who find themselves again falling and fainting and weak and struggling, discouraged, feeling hopeless, turn to the Lord. In him you will find all that you need to soar upon the wings of eagles through your circumstances. Edward Young writes, with apparently no effort, the eagle mounts high into the sky. So the people of God will mount up from the depths of their griefs and difficulties. They will not stumble. They will not fall to earth because they have no strength, but rather with the ease of the eagle, they will soar on high. Even in the midst of those circumstances. God has for his people a means of renewal and strength that this world doesn't know anything about. And it's found in that throne room of grace where one prayerfully depends upon the Lord, where one again clings to Christ as their only hope, their only means of being right with God, their only means by which they have access to this divine renewing and enablement. God creates us as human beings to not be enough, to be weak, to be unable get weary, that we might look to the one who has made us, as believers, to the one who has saved us, that we might look to the father of all comfort, 
and find rest in him. Rest for our souls. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. That is only true if one is actively depending upon the Lord. God is always there, but you will not sense it. You will not find the encouragement and the hope unless you are depending upon the Lord. And even the the promise of God laying before us a table in the presence of our enemies, circumstances, or people. It's only true if we are resting in the Lord and waiting upon him. Psalm 91, verse 1 and following. The psalmist writes, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Or Deuteronomy 33, verse 27. The eternal God is a dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Is the Lord your constant dwelling place, the place you are always resting upon the Lord, waiting upon him, turning to him, finding in him the refuge, the fortress, the defender, the one who strengthens. Because we live in a fallen world as believers, our life is constantly lived yo-yoing from that to depending upon ourselves and again being drawn back. We should desire to be all the more faithful to live lives that are all the more putting to death this idolatry of self-sufficiency because that's what it is. It's idolatry. It's self-worship. It's making ourselves and setting ourselves up to be God in our lives. Living in a way that God never created us to live. He didn't save us to live that way. He saved us to live utterly dependent upon him for all things in all seasons at all times. I hope the desire of your heart is to grow to be more dependent upon the Lord. And one of the marks and evidences of a believer, a genuine believer, is there has been progress and growth in depending upon the Lord. You depend upon him more than you once did. You're turning to him quicker. You're resting in him more consistently. And if that is true of you, be encouraged. The Lord is at work in you. The progress and the growth is not you. It is the one working in you. Do you want to grow more in depending upon the Lord? Pray that the Lord would work that in you. Pray that the the God of grace would diffuse grace into your heart that you desperately need as a believer to live, to grow, to change. Because we can't change ourselves. For only he can change our hearts that we might will and do according to his good pleasure. I exhort you, if you desire, and as believers, you should desire to put to death the arm of the flesh more and to cling and rest in God more. Depend upon him in prayer. Focus on your prayer life, praying that God would work in you what is pleasing in his sight, and he will do it. Because he's promised to perfect in you and perfect that in you and make you to be ready for heaven. To make you to be one who lives and walks in the image of Christ. 
And Christ's life is a walking epistle of dependence upon his God. Praying at all times. Resting and trusting in his heavenly Father. We see in this Christ an example for us. But even the one who was man and God in one person, even he depended upon his God. May that encourage us that we, we have a similar like need. And may his example encourage us. I know that there are those here this morning who are not believers, who are living their life focusing completely on themselves, living for themselves, living because of themselves, self-sufficiency. Perhaps even those who are living a life cloaked under this Christian garb, but yet they're living their life trying to please God by what they do and how they live, by what they don't do and by how they don't live. Living and walking in that way will lead to despair or pride. Despair arrives because you realize you can't do enough to be good before God. You can't do enough to outweigh the bad because it, just, it doesn't work that way. It's not, it's not a seesaw and I've got to put more good works on this side to outweigh the bad. And if I do it, then the good triumphs. No, with God it's absolute perfection. From the moment of your birth to the moment of your death, that's how you have to live to be pleasing to him. No one can live that way. All of us have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can depend upon ourselves to go from where we are to being right with God. And if you're living that way, you are walking a pathway that leads to none other than hell. God did not create you to depend upon yourself to be good enough before him. He has created you to realize your insufficiency, your sinfulness. That's why he gave the law of God, that you might recognize how great and vast your sin is, that you would turn to the one who lived righteously, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who lived and walked in perfection, who died to save sinners. If you look outside of yourself in light of the knowledge of your sinfulness and look to this Christ, and see in him the only way of being right with God. Because he is the only way. The only way. Looking to him alone. Believing upon him. Resting in him alone. As your only hope of being right before God. Of standing before him perfect. Then you will be saved. And those of us who are believers here this morning. We have believed upon Christ. Because we knew our need. And we knew that there was nowhere else to turn to but to Christ. And so this morning, if you are one who is living and walking in your sin or trying to live in a way that is pleasing God through what you do, set those things aside and look to Christ. He alone is able to save you. He alone is able to make you right before God. And then you will begin living in the way that God has designed you to live, depending upon him. Just like that electricity around us, it depends upon the current coming from the outside. You have been created to depend upon your creator, who's, who sustains you, who gives you life and everything that you have. May you, believer, live and walk in a way that reflects who God is, who you are, and how we're supposed to live in light of that. We have been created by him, for him, to use all unto him. 
depending upon him at all times, in all seasons, every day, every hour, every moment, every second. Because we are weak and frail. Our faith fades. But he is faithful. He is able. He is strong. May he be at work in our hearts, transforming us from glory to glory, making us more into the image of Christ, more and more dependent upon him. For that is the only way to live, dependent upon the one who created and controls all things and has made all for his own glory. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are God. There's none like you. And yet you have lavished upon this world beauty and lovely things, grace upon grace, in the midst of a world that is wretched and sinful. And yet in your grace, we see your character. And we see in the person of Christ the greatest of saviors. And that's why we gather. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. Because of what he did. And because of how we are to live in light of that. We know we need the means of grace to again remind us and encourage us and to fill us and point us towards the truth. To reorient our perspective. We are not living for ourselves. But we live for the one who has made all things and has made all things for his own glory. May we live and walk in your strength, by your grace, more and more in ways that are worship unto you, that magnify your name and glorify you, because you are most worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.